Well, good morning. Uh, today we are carrying on in this little uh, short series we're doing about uh, your best 24. And a couple of weeks ago, I talked about your best 24 uh, relationally, uh, financially. And today I want to talk about your best 24 relationally and talk a little bit about relationships. And I touched on this a few weeks ago, but I want to expand on this again this morning. And uh, let me just begin with a couple questions. How many of us here this morning believe that the greatest joy in life comes by way of relationships. The greatest joy in life, okay? Some of you don't have your hands up. I hope your spouse next to you is, uh, you know, I hope you're not in the garage tonight, on a cold night, okay? But then the second question is this, how many of us also believe that often the greatest challenges and maybe even pain in life can come by way of relationships? Yeah, it's true, isn't it? I mean, it's, the, you know, it's the, the best of times and the worst of times. It's those two extremes, right? The mountaintop kind of euphoric experiences that come through relationships, and then we have these lie awake at night uh, issues where we say, what in the world happened in that relationship? And uh, everything that I want to share this morning is based on a, on, a, on a premise, and the premise is this. It's really kind of twofold. The premise is this, that the greatest challenge in your relationships is always you. I mean, we often go, well, that person, if I, you know, I'm glad I'm not like them, right? But the greatest challenge in our relationships is us. Now, the second part of that is a very hopeful reality. Because it is us, then that means that the greatest chance of having greater success and greater blessing and greater fulfillment in relationships is within our reach because it does rely on us. And, uh, and so that's what we're going to look at this morning. And, and if you go to the internet or you go to a bookstore, you'll see that there is a plethora of items on relationships and principles on relationships and on and on and on it goes. And uh, so this morning, I want to give just a few principles, and again, I hope maybe one or two of these will speak to you personally and will be helpful uh, to you in your own relationships. And, and I just want to say, I haven't chosen what may be some of the very typical ones. You know, if you go and take any sort of relational class, if you, do, if you go through premarital counseling, which I've done uh, dozens of premarital counselings with couples getting married, one of the things you always talk about is communication. Communication is key. So that's, a, that's sort of a given. I'm gonna talk about some that might not seem just quite as obvious. I hope that'll be helpful. And my textbook, my guide, will be the holy text, okay? So I'm going to be quoting scripture throughout what I have to say this morning because uh, everybody tries to prove their point with a book that they wrote or read or some relational guru, but I'm gonna turn to the ancient text because I believe that it works because it's true. It's not true because it works, it works because it's true, okay? And so I hope that you'll be encouraged by this this morning. So, here we go. And this one might seem self-evident, but I think it's worth saying in the world in which we live. The first thing I want to remind you of in relationships is that successful relationships require personal sacrifice. Successful relationships require, require personal sacrifice. I love what Peter says, and Peter, boy, he's a guy that's bumped up against people, but uh, he writes in 1 Peter uh, chapter 4, verse 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly because love covers a multitude of sins. 
Love covers all of those blemishes. And then, of course, Mark 10, 45, the Lord Jesus himself, Mark writes, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, successful relationships require personal sacrifice because, because balancing the scales always breeds resentment. Have you ever done that? You know, tried to balance the scales in relationships. Well, I did this, and they didn't do that, and they should have done this because I did this. Ephesians 5.2 says, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. There's a relationship standard. Gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, let me give you an application, and then I'll unpack this a little bit for you. Here's the application. Serve one another as your identity, not your agenda. Let me say that again. Serve one another, bless one another, love one another, because that's your identity in Christ. That's at Mark 10, 45. The Son of God came not to be served, but to serve. That was his identity. He was God's servant for the sake of the salvation of the world. So serve as your identity, not as your agenda. Not what you were going to get out of doing this. And, and realize that. And, and don't serve out of, you know, expecting to balance the scales. If you start to do that in your life, that will breed resentment. Because the flesh in us wants to scream out, you know, I've done more. I've, do, I've done better. I, I, I've given more effort. And uh, we need to apply the reality that everybody's flawed, including us, first. And people are complex, Amen. People are incredibly complex. And, and it's hard, and I find it very unhelpful to try and put people in distinct categories. When you put somebody in a very distinct category, it generally means that disappointment will be inevitable. Uh, you know, for example, you have a friend, Charlie. Charlie's your friend. Charlie is an encourager. And everybody says, man, Charlie's such a great encourager. And he, and he does encouraging things for you. And then one day you need encouragement, Charlie blows it. Right? Charlie blows it. Not only does he not encourage you, he maybe discourages you. And because you've said, well, in my mind I've got Charlie solidly slotted in the encourager place, you know, you say, well, he was supposed to do that. That's what I required of him. That's who he is. And, and now all of a sudden you're, you're going to be resentful towards him. But we all blow it at times. We know it. We, we make mistakes. And that's why we have to go back to 1 Peter 4.8. Love covers a multitude of sins. And if you hold deeply to the truth that friendship means sacrifice, when you're disappointed in your friend, then listen carefully. If it means sacrifice, then your disappointment will simply be a bump in the friendship. It won't be a bruise that lasts. Let me give you the standard of sacrifice in friendship and relationships. It's from the Lord Jesus. It's John 15, 13, if you want to write the reference down. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's. Does anybody know what the last word is? Friends. Friends. That's the gold standard. Successful relationships require personal sacrifice. Don't try and balance the scales. It'll breed resentment. Serve as your identity, not your agenda. The second thing I want you to hear this morning is this. And this one might be even 
is built really on the first one. The second one is this. In all relationships, be kind and courageous. In all relationships, be kind and courageous. And those may seem a little bit uh, odd to put together, but let me just unpack that for you a little bit. Colossians 3.12, put on then as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, listen to this, compassionate hearts, kindness, if you have a compassionate heart, kindness will come much more easily, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Proverbs 21.21, easy to remember, 21.21. Whoever pursues righteousness and kindness, Sometimes we, we, we're quick to pursue righteousness. Let me tell you what you did wrong and why I'm right. But the proverb is, if you pursue righteousness and kindness, you will find life, righteousness, and honor. Now, why is it so important? Why is it so important that we, in relationships, be kind and courageous? Because people need grace and people need truth. They need both. People need grace, and people need truth. And the standard verse for this, John 1, 14, you know, we often quote the first part of the verse, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We often quote that, but then there's a comma there, and we have seen his glory. So the verse is expanding, glory as of the Son from the Father, and what is he like, comma, full of grace and truth, full of grace and truth. Uh, and let me ask you this, do you naturally lead to kindness or confrontation? You know, often people lean one way or the other, kind of based out of what their personality and their wiring is. What about you, do you lean one way or another? So let me begin with kindness. What's kindness? I, I think we know what it is, but let me just remind us. It's being friendly and generous and considerate. Uh, kindness is a non-negotiable ingredient in every relationship, from the most casual relationship to the most intense relationship, the deepest relationships. Uh, and often, you know, often I find people, uh, you know, it's easier to be kinder to your waiter than it is to your wife. It's a strange kind of a reality. And this is especially important if you identify as a Christ follower. Colossians 3.12, therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. Say so, clothe, cover yourself, this is your covering, with compassion, and again, next word, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Kindness is so important in relationships. And, you know, I mentioned that sacrifice is so important. Sacrifice, friends, listen carefully, is often delivered by way of kindness when people don't deserve it. That often is a sacrifice you make as you choose to be kind, even though you want to be angry. You, you, you know, you want to speak out. But you get to be kind. And that's a sacrifice. Often it's hard to do. But in all relationships, kindness and courage are so important. Let me give you a little poem that I, I like this little poem. I like little poems that are kind of pithy. Listen to this. I have wept in the night for the shortness of sight that to somebody's need I was blind. 
but I have never yet felt a twinge of regret for being a little too kind. Isn't that true? You're, ne- you're never regretful when you're kind. And the kindness and courage of Jesus, of course, is that John 1:14, full of grace and truth. Grace is kindness, unmerited kindness. And truth requires courage. And uh, let, let me just talk about the, the truth part of it, okay, for a minute. Uh, it, it, you don't have to spend much time in the news or reading, uh, seeing what's going on in our world to know that everybody wants to be successful. And the world really measures success in three ways. There's kind of three metrics for success in our world. Uh, I would say they are money, everybody's enamored with money, somebody's got lots of money. Uh, they're enamored with looks, you know, the, you know, the people that have a look a certain way. And I would say the third one, and probably lesser so, is brains. You're clever, right? Very clever. And, uh, you know, money is pretty uh, self-evident, right? Because it gets expressed materially. And, and appearance, you know, you can tell that because... But the, the third one, brains. You know, how, does, how, how, how is the intelligence expressed? It's expressed by way of ideas, right? By cleverness. But what's interesting is if you look in our world today, if you turn on a news show, if you turn on uh, you, you know, anything where people are interacting, you will find that uh, the way people express their ideas to show how clever they are is not often by way of ideas, it's by way of criticism. Have you noticed that? Because you can do that much quicker. You know, you can be very critical. You know, ideas, to present ideas and, and, and good thinking, it takes some time. But to be critical, you can just do that right off the bat. And criticism is a relationship killer. It's a relationship killer. Uh, some of you will know the name Jeff Bezos. I think he's still the richest man in the world. Uh, Bill Gates would still be the richest man, but he's given so much of his fortune away. But Jeff Bezos, richest man in the world, CEO of Amazon. When he was 10 years old, he saw a commercial on TV. And this commercial uh, was an anti-smoking commercial. And the commercials declared that for every cigarette you smoke, two minutes comes off your life. Well, Jeff Bezos, incredibly clever, and uh, you know, a math whiz, so he begins adding up how many minutes that a longtime smoker like his grandmother has cut off her life. And he goes and tells his grandmother, Grandmother, uh, I want you to know that I calculated, how, based on how many cigarettes you smoke, that you've cut 16 years off your life. Of course, that's immensely helpful, isn't it? She started to cry. She started to cry. And his grandfather did the... Took him into the next room. He wasn't angry. He didn't want to punish him. But he said this to him, and it left a deep impact in his life. He said, Jeffrey, one day you will learn that it is much harder to be kind than it is to be clever. In a relationship, we are to be 
kind and we are to be courageous. Courage, let me talk just for a minute about that. Relationships that are healthy and helpful require us to tell the truth. Now you do it graciously and you do it at the right time but it can be very helpful. And if you're going to speak truth into a relationship, let me just encourage you, make sure your motivation is pure. Not kind of pure, mostly pure, but pure. Make sure that when you speak truth into a relationship, you're not doing it based on any anger or resentment or retribution or anything like that, that you're speaking truth in because you love that person and you want what what is best for them. If you try and speak truth into a difficult situation and your motivation is not pure, it never works out because the spirit does not honor bad motivation. You need the spirit's help in these things. You need a kind demeanor when you come and speak courage. And courage does not mean combativeness. Of course, the verse for this is Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend because a true friend wants what's best for us, right? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Number three. Number three. In relationships, you've got to focus on and celebrate Others' admirable attributes. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Now why must we focus on and celebrate others' admirable attributes? Because encouragement is relational jet fuel. It's just encouragement. People need encouragement. People need encouragement. I think I may have mentioned to you that when our kids were growing up, we had different slogans, if you will, or principles or sort of laws of our household. And one of those with our kids was this, build and encourage. And when our kids spoke to each other in ways that were unkind or unhelpful, we would say, did that build and encourage? And they'd go, no. And then we'd say, okay, well, make it right. Make it right. Build and encourage. The reason why you have to do that is everything in our world is designed to tear people down. And you want to build and encourage in relationships. And you do that by celebrating others' admirable attributes. Romans 10, 12. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. And here's the application for this, friends. You know what happens? Instead of Instead of celebrating others' admirable attributes, you know what? We get bugged by their shortcomings. Have you ever noticed that? Oh, that drives me crazy. They're never on time. They're never on time. My father was never on time to anything in his entire life. Ever. Is there any dads here that are never on time? Any dads here? It's women. Women's hands are going up. Yeah, right? My dad just was never on time, Right? But my dad had lots of great attributes. But, but instead, of, instead of admiring those, we get bugged by what people don't have. Here's the ap- application. You gotta remember this, okay? You gotta remember this. Remember, I cannot take out of others what God didn't put in, right? You cannot take out of others what God didn't put in. If your kid is not an NHL quality hockey player, don't try and take that out of them, right? 
Appreciate those things that are gifts and that God has built into them and made uh, them, uh, made about them. The psalmist writes, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully, wonderfully made. We all are God's poyama, the Greek word is. That's God's work of art, his workmanship. Let me ask you this. Who would you say is the greatest encourager in the New Testament? Anybody want to throw a name out? A great encourager in the New Testament. Okay, I heard somebody say Barnabas. Anybody else? Paul, okay, good. I would say the greatest encourager in the New Testament is Joseph. Anybody want to agree with me? Do you know who Joseph is? Not Mary's husband. Not the father, the earthly father of Jesus. Do you know who Joseph is? Nobody know? Somebody said it. Who's Joseph? Barnabas. Barnabas' real name is Joseph. You look in Acts chapter 4. But listen to this. His parents named him Joseph. You look in Acts chapter 4, it says Joseph, but he was an encourager and he was known by Barnabas. He was such an encourager, his name has been lost to history. Practically none of us knew, realized his name was Joseph because he was such an encourager. People forgot about his name. They didn't call him Barnabas. He's the son of encouragement. That's who he is, man. That was, that was his very being. It's amazing. It's just amazing that he lived that life. He, he, he was remembered for not what he was named, but for who he was and what he did. Barnabas. And we are all unique and special. We're, we're, God is the potter and we are the clay and he made us all perfect, having our own uniqueness. Some people have blue eyes and some people have brown eyes and some people can do this and some people can do that. Uh, I'm always amazed. I love watching a drummer. Who's our drummer this morning? James, I was talking to James before the service and uh, I was telling him, I wanted to be a drummer. Me and my friends wanted to start a band. So I said, I'll be the drummer. So I went out, I bought a drum set. And uh, I heard there was a good drum teacher, I lived in Cambridge, I heard there was a good drum teacher in Guelph. This guy was like the best. So my parents said, okay, if you wanna do this, we'll take you. So my parents drove me every week to Guelph for drum lessons you know, for half an hour, an hour, whatever. And I mean, this is when I was a kid. I think it was like 30 bucks. So that was when 30 bucks meant something, you know? And we did that. I think I took about two, I, I don't know, two hundreds of drum lessons for like three or four years. My folks spent about 10 grand on drum lessons. And after 10,000 bucks and about three or four years of drum lessons, the drum teacher looked at me and said, Steve, have you ever thought about painting or ceramics or anything like that? <laughs> Because I was a good drummer, I just could not keep the beat. Other than that, I was actually excellent. God didn't put that in me. So I, I look at a drummer and I'm always like, I'm just longing to be that, right? I can play one beat on the drums. Not very well. But I wasn't going to be a drummer, right? But, you know, I, I think I have some other gifts. I don't know. Maybe I don't. Maybe that was my one chance, right? Let me just say this and I'll move on. In the most significant relationship of all, I would say, is marriage. 
if you're if you're thinking about getting married, you're, you, one day you're going to be married, right? This you have to hold a high value on this, a high value on this, right? Uh, and just espouse your spouse, lift them up, honor them, and bless them, and see what God has put in them that is glorious and wonderful. Number four. Relationally, you have to address conflict effectively. Address conflict effectively. Conflict in relationships is inevitable. It comes. It's just we're, we're fallen beings. We're being slowly as Christians being made into the image of Christ, but we bump against each other and conflict comes. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You know, the flesh in us wants to turn an annoyance into conflict. Don't take that bait. Some little bump, some little annoyance, don't let that turn into something like an offense. Don't say, you know what, I'm not going to take that bait. I'm not going to get caught on that hook. And we are required, secondly, to revisit conflict, even though sometimes we can't even really fix it. And that's immensely hard, right? Uh, that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.10 to have no divisions amongst us. Here's the application. If you're in conflict, I would encourage you to work towards the future. Don't get mired in the past. This is what happens when you get into conflict, right? You're like, okay, we've got to sort this out. Well, you said this, and you said that, and I don't think you, and I was going to do that, but then you... And you know what? And it just churns and churns. Look forward to a hopeful future. Think of the Apostle Paul, right? He says, brethren, I have not yet figured this out, but forgetting that which lies behind, all the mess, I look forward, I press on. So look for, forward to a hopeful future. And that takes wisdom and honesty and honest self-reflection uh, and self assessment. It takes humility and sensitivity. It takes timing. It takes God's help. That's why Paul said in Ephesians 4.32, be gentle with one another and sensitive. Forgive another quickly. I want to show you a picture. Here's an interesting picture uh, I want to show you. Uh, several years ago, a, f- a photographer with the New York Times named Peter Hugo, he went to Rwanda. And uh, I was really interested in this because uh, many years ago, my wife Cheryl and I and a group of families Uh, when we were living in Atlanta, we sponsored a refugee family from Rwanda who came. And so Peter Hugo went to Rwanda uh, about two days after nearly a million people were killed when they had a genocide there. And some of you may remember that and and your mind go back to that. And what he did was he went and he captured a series of almost unthinkable tableaus. And this is one of them. You can look these up on the internet. And I encourage you to do that because it's quite compelling. And in each, the perpetrator is a Hutu, one of the Hutu tribe, who was granted pardon by the Tutsi survivor of their crime. So this man, Francois, this gentleman here you see, here's what he writes, okay? He writes, because of the genocide perpetrated in 1994, I participated in killing of the son of this woman. 
We are now members of the same group of unity and reconciliation. We share in everything. If she needs some water, I fetch some for her. There is no suspicion between us, whether under sunlight or during the night. I used to have nightmares recalling the sad events that I have been through, but now I can sleep peacefully, and when we are together, we are like brother and sister, no suspicion between us. The lady you see in the picture, her name is Epiphany, and she writes this. He killed my child. Then he came to ask me pardon. I immediately granted it to him because he did not do it by himself. He was haunted by the devil. I was pleased by the way he testified to the crime instead of keeping it in hiding because it hurts if someone keeps hiding a crime he committed against you. Before, when I had not yet granted him a pardon, he could not come close to me. I treated him like my enemy, but now I would rather treat him like my own child. You see, you have to deal with conflict and revisit conflict. Address conflict effectively because conflict quenches the spirit. Conflict quenches the spirit. That's why there is so much in the New Testament, and especially in Paul's writing about unity in the church. Because conflict creates disunity and just simply quenches the spirit. And one of the ways you do that and you avoid some of this conflict is you take time on waiting, uh, wait on arriving at your opinions, get to the heart of things, understand people. You, you know, one of the ways you avoid conflict when you enter into a relationship is when I meet people, one of the first interactions I have with a person in a new friendship relation, I say, tell me your story. And they say, what do you want me to tell you? And I say, I want you to tell me whatever you think you should tell me. And then I just let people run. And then I ask questions. And I let them talk about their traumas and their mountaintops and their, the beautiful chapters and the pain in their life. Get them to tell their story in detail. And ask questions. How did you feel when that happened? Is, is that still bother you today? Do you, do you hope that that'll happen again? Do you hope that'll never happen again? And you gain understanding. And then when conflict comes along, you have a deeper level of understanding to say, hmm, you know what? I realize that the heart of the issue right now is not the heart of the issue. And there's other things going on. Sometimes relationships require additional wisdom. Sometimes you need a sage in those relationships. Finally, last point. Let me go get to it. Time's marching on. Embrace healthy goodbyes. This is so important in relationships. And and you kind of think, well, yeah, but the relationship's over. No, you you know why you do this? Because you carry this reality into other relationships. Failed relationships are inevitable. Sometimes relationships fail. Regardless of who's at fault and what happens, Acts 20, 36, 37, you see a beautiful, healthy goodbye. It's not a failed relationship. It's how a relationship should end. Uh, Paul is leaving and they, it says that uh, he talked to them and they knelt and they prayed with him. Verse 37, there was much weeping on the part. They embraced Paul and they kissed him. Beautiful goodbyes. Why must we embrace healthy goodbyes? Because it reflects the heart of Jesus. Jesus said, no longer, John 15, 15, no longer I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I call you friends. Let me ask you this. Here's the application. Do you have any unresolved goodbyes? Do 
you have any unresolved goodbyes where relationships have ended, but it has not ended well, and, and you need to revisit as much as you are able. Because there's times when relationships don't work, where, where something gets poisoned, and really if God doesn't intervene, you, you just can't fix it, but you need to do your very best to have a healthy goodbye. You'll remember a young man named David is invited to come and play his liar for uh, a very agitated King Saul. David's a young guy, but even at his young age, he's an impressive guy, and Saul loves him deeply. And in fact, in 1 Samuel 16, uh, we read how much Saul just admires and loves him. And David develops a deep friendship with Saul's son, King Saul's son, Jonathan. And the next thing we read in the story is we read about David and he slays Goliath. And everybody goes, way to go, David. And everybody's cheering on David and shouting over David. David's the, you know, just, he's, he's being just kind of, uh, everybody's so keen on David. And Saul, you don't like that one bit because he's a narcissist and, and he, he's not keen on the fact that David is just getting jazzed. And so Saul becomes jealous to the point where he wants David dead. And several times Saul tries to kill David and David even has opportunity to kill Saul in a cave, remember that, but he doesn't. He still honors him as king and Saul apologizes and David spares his life and on and on and on it goes. And then finally we get to 1 Samuel 27 and it says this, then David said in his heart, he knew that this relationship was virtually unfixable, he said this, now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. He said, you know what, Saul's probably gonna kill me. There is nothing better for me than to escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. David comes to a place where he realizes, you know what, this relationship's unfixable. And even though Saul loved David at one point, and David continued to love Saul, the relationship's done. But David slips away. He doesn't try and destroy Saul by word or deed, but he's done. And we have to embrace those kinds of healthy departures. Because if you don't, you'll end up poisoned, and that poisoned departure will poison future relationships. If you want to read a very interesting, a very helpful uh, regard, if you've had some unresolved endings, or you're in something that you think is unfixable, and is Dr. Henry Cloud's book, Necessary Endings, Fantastic book on this subject. Let me finish. Time is gone. Here's the takeaway for this morning, friends. If you are in a relational crisis, ask for help now. Okay? The church here is here to help you. That's why James says, James 1, 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, if you just don't know how to fix this thing, You've got some relational trouble. Let him ask God who gives generously to all above reproach and it will be given to him. And sometimes that wisdom from on high, God's wisdom comes through godly people. And so if you have a relationship crisis, I encourage you to ask for help. Now, don't let it fester. Don't let it simmer. Get some help now so this can be your best year relationally. Let us pray. Father God, we echo the words of Paul this morning. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Father, help us to have godly, Christ-centered, healthy, life-giving relationships. Help us to be people of courage and kindness 
Help us to be sacrificial, not to try and balance the scales. Help us to deal with conflict in a way that honors you and honors others. Help us, Father, when relationships are broken, to do our best to, to walk away and not be destructive, but to finish us in a way that is honoring to those involved. Father, may those this morning, they're having trouble, in relating, they, they've got a relationship they can't fix. I encourage them, Father, and would you encourage them to have the courage to ask for help. May this be a church that is characterized by people who are one in Christ alone. Amen.